open or turn on your Bibles with me to the book of Acts as we finish chapter 2 this morning. I heard Harry Reid a few weeks back say that reading your Bible on a phone is like kissing your wife through the screen door. (laughs) He said, it gets the job done, but the experience leaves a lot to be desired. (laughs) So no matter how you have it, let's read together the inerrant, infallible words of the one and only living God. Acts chapter 2 will actually begin at verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now to our text this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. If you uh, watched the Super Bowl in 2021, you saw the world premiere of a commercial for the delivery system, a new delivery system, for a very old medication. Quote, pain hits fast, so get relief fast. Only our rapid-release gels have laser-drilled holes that release medicine fast for fast relief. Now, if you got that drug and read the fine print or heard the same commercial on the radio, you would have heard this as well. Possible side effects include, and at 100 miles an hour, red peeling and blistering skin, rash, hives, itching, swelling of the face, throat, tongue, lips, eyes, feet, ankles, or lower legs, hoarseness, difficulty breathing or swallowing, and if not used as directed, Nausea, vomiting, loss of appetite, sweating, extreme tiredness, unusual bleeding or bruising, pain in the upper part of the stomach, yellowing of the skin and eyes, flu-like symptoms, liver damage and or failure, and premature death. Now, who would take a drug with side effects like that? Well, only 30 billion doses of Tylenol were ingested last year. And those of us that were part of that number, uh, if we really believed that one or more of those side effects were possible or probable, the first sign of that stiff neck, we might not be so quickly to pop a few. 
We continue this morning with the inspired words of Luke, or as the Apostle Paul calls him in Colossians 4.14, the beloved physician. We close out the second chapter of the book of Acts today, and our text this morning is Luke's discussion of the side effects of gospel medication or medicine. Early church father and martyr Ignatius of Antioch said this about the gospel. It is the medicine of immortality. And right, he was. The first century saw the dawn of modern pharmacology. A physician by the name of Dioscorides in Rome published the first five-volume pharmacy guide. And the common physician treatment protocols, undoubtedly known by Dr. Luke, have not changed much since the first century. One, do a firm examination and diagnosis. Two, prescribe the best available medication or treatment. Three, give firm instructions and warnings. And four, monitor outcomes and repeat. Luke here is both warning and monitoring the outcomes for us. Incidentally, this is not the first or only time Luke does this. He does the same kind of pause and analytics, both in chapters 4 and 5, which we'll get to shortly. Now, we've seen over the last two weeks, haven't we, Luke's narrating of the process of the coming of the Holy Spirit, as promised by Jesus, Peter's preaching of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, fixing the first cause of the death of Christ in the predetermined counsel of God himself, and then not hesitating, incidentally, to blame the death of Christ on those hearers. As he said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Luke tells us then that 3,000 souls were added to the church, and it's here that the narrative in the text does a remarkable change of pace. As a matter of fact, notice that Luke brackets our text today, 42 through 47, with those words added to the church. So this text is about the New Testament church and the effects that the gospel had on these early believers. This is the beginning of the New Testament church. 3,000 are regenerated. 3,000 are new in Christ. 3,000 are new creations. Their old lives have passed away. Their new ones have come. New lives and new hearts. They have taken gospel medicine, heart medicine. And Luke documents and lists for us the side effects of this medicine in our text. We'll concentrate briefly this morning on three aspects of the heart changes that took place in these, <clears throat> in these first converts. First, we'll see three new orientations of the heart or the directions that the heart goes. We'll secondly see three objectives of the heart, the things that the heart wants 
most. And finally, we'll see three outcomes or attitudes of the heart that have been changed by the Spirit of God. Let's look first at the side effect number one, three new orientations of the heart. The new orientations are up, out, and forward. Up in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This orientation obviously is vertical, first and foremost. From now on, things are different. The Holy Spirit lives inside these new converts. The Spirit of Christ has taken residence in their heart, and their view from now on will first and foremost be vertical toward Him. Out in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Not only are their lives oriented vertical like never before, they're focused out toward each other like never before. A love for others like they've never experienced. This common orientation was like anything they had lived before. All things in common, all things new. Finally, a forward orientation, day by day in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Oh, this is different, and they instantly knew it. This up and out orientation is not just a one-time thing, and they knew it. It was day by day, a life changer. Day by day, month by month, year by year, the old life gone. Gone in an instant. A new life in Christ they knew moving forward there was no going back. You know, any elder in the church of God will tell you the highlight of shepherding, the absolute highlight of shepherding God's people are the membership interviews with God's people. They never disappoint hearing how God works differently from years and years in God's people. It's especially sweet when one of the converts and children profess their faith, and we get to hear the words. Young people, do you remember when you met with your elders? Those of you uh, coming to the communicants class next week, you've probably already talked to your mother and dad about this, and hopefully you will never forget that time that you met, meet with your elders and tell them about your faith in Christ, and then of course take your first communion. And if I'm ever in your interview, I will ask you this question, kids. I've asked it every time. In a previous church, a seven-year-old by the name of Mary came to, uh, with her parents to the session to, uh, for us to examine her and her faith. And I asked Mary this question. I said, Mary, you've told us that you're a Christian. How long do you think you're going to be 
a Christian. So kids, if ever I'm in your interview, know it's coming. How long do you think you're going to be a Christian? And Mary did something like this, and you'd have to know how she was. And she said, well, at least until next Tuesday. (laughs) And we kind of took a step back, and she realized the moment and quickly said, wait, I mean forever. And we said, that's good, Mary. It is forever. It is forever. The old life gone. Gone in an instant. The new life in Christ. They knew moving forward, there was no going back. Forever. Where's your orientation? I mean your true orientation. That compass that guides you. Is it vertical? Are you devoted to the things of the Lord first and foremost in your life? Day by day. And second to that, your devotion and love for your other and fellow believers. Are you truly oriented up and out? And is it daily? Is it who you are at home, at church, students, at school, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, in public, in private? Oh, Lord, make it so in your people and in this place. Side effect number two. Not only did this new church have new uh, orientations, it had new heart objectives. Their new objectives were worship, fellowship, and praise. Objective number one, worship. Again, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay, Presbyterians, you can't possibly miss that one. Again, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Westminster Confession of Faith, Children's Catechism number 88 What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of our redemption? Answer, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. This was the primary Objective of these new believers' lives, the worship of Christ. You know, the last three weeks here at Redeemer, we've had successive record attendance, ending last Sunday at Easter with 614 here. Why are we experiencing this growth when It's difficult in this time and period with the pandemic and cultural issues to grow a church. And let's just be honest with each other, can we? This has not been comfortable for all here. 
In fact, it's been very difficult for some. After worship this morning, we'll have what has become a bi-monthly new members class. If this class is consistent with others in the past, what we will not hear when we ask the question, why do you believe God is calling you to Redeemer? What we will not hear is all of the wonderful programs that you have. We will not hear about the wonderful architecture and building that you meet in. We won't hear that. What we will hear is something like this, and we hear it every time. Why do we believe that God wants us to unite with you? The pure preaching of the Word of God, week by week, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, Sunday a.m. worship of the triune God that includes spirit-filled singing, confession, the constant and visible signs and seals of sacraments and heart-filled prayers week after week. Brethren, listen carefully. We have a long way to go, but I assure you, your pastors and your elders are committed to loving and shepherding you. And the way we do this is making sure first and foremost that on the Lord's day, you have the means of grace every Sunday. That is primary to your sanctification, your growth in Christ. And the first way we do that is making it a priority. And know this, brothers and sisters, the preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, worship and prayer is the only Christ-ordained or biblical growth strategy, period. It's the preaching, the worship, and the sacraments, the means of grace God has ordained for us. Make no mistake about that. Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the earth. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Objective two, true fellowship. Verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. <clears throat> I remember in Acts class in seminary, and it remains to be said here that the second chapter of Acts is both descriptive and normative. Here is a good example. Those new believers in verse 44 were together and all things they had in common, as we should, normative. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. <clears throat> is Luke teaching here a commandment? Well, we know that that's not true just in a couple of chapters. In Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, 
But I think Puritan Richard Baxter says it best. And he gets it right when he says, this was not to abolish ownership of private property. This was to abolish once and for all selfishness. And I say, amen to that. Church growth strategy number two, the true fellowship and love for each other. You know, sometimes we get a glimpse of that around here. More glimpses, I think, than, than <clears throat> feeling good about this. But sometimes, particularly on Sunday night, if you don't stay long, you're, you're out of whack. People just stay and talk and fellowship and talk and fellowship. The same with Sunday morning many, many times. <clears throat> But we can do better, brothers. We rejoice with each other. We weep when one weeps. We pray for each other. We need to sacrifice more for one another. What an example here we see with these new converts that had everything in common. Objective three, praise in verse 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. They were changed. When the preached word penetrated their souls, many of them vividly must have remembered their own words. Crucify him! Crucify him! Yet this same man who they put to death had forgiven them. The same Holy Spirit that convicted them convicts us. The same Holy Spirit that presented and drew them to Jesus Christ presents and draws us to the risen Savior. And that same Holy Spirit that whispered forgiveness into their hearts says the same thing to our hearts. You are forgiven. Just like these new believers how can we not have new objectives in our lives? Worshiping Him together, living our lives for Him together, and praising and glorifying Him together. Finally, side effect number three, their hearts had new orientations, their hearts and lives new objectives because their hearts had new attitudes and outlooks. In his discussion here about the new lives of these first new members, Luke describes their external daily lives, how they change, and he also uses three words in the text to take to explain what has taken place inside of their hearts. Look first at verses 42 and 43 again. <clears throat> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the excuse me, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. <clears throat> Luke's first word is awe. It's almost always translated fear. It's also translated terror and respect. And here, it's awe. The Greek word here is phobos. We know it as phobia, fear. This is fear for certain. 
But it truly is awe as Luke uses it here. The only other place Luke uses this is in his gospel, chapter 1, when the angel appears to Zacharias to tell him he was going to have a son. And you'll remember what he said. Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now, fear of the Lord may be the last thing we uh, use to describe the Lord in our sentimental and casual approach to him. But the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, knowing the terror, phobos, of the Lord, we persuade men. Oh, family, let's never forget, shall we, that we serve a living and loving Lord that loves, forgives, adopts, yet we also know it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's not fear and be in, let's never not fear and be in awe as these new believers were. Luke's last two words of expression uh, of attitude and the discussion of the hearts of these new believers is in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The two words that explain the heart here are glad and generous in the ESV. But let's take a closer look. Luke's word here, glad, is also unique to him in the New Testament. Jude uses it once, and he is the only writer in the New Testament to use it besides Luke. The word is gladness and joy, but not the ordinary uh, joy. This is exceeding joy, abundant, extra joy. This is the joy that's beyond normal joy. It's a one kind of joy. Luke only ever uses it in one other place. And that again is Luke chapter 1. If you'd like to turn to me, we'll read that in Luke 1, 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, there's no joy like this. This is exceeding joy, the joy of all joys. All it took was John the Baptist through his mother to hear the voice of the mother of his Savior, and he leaped with joy, unspeakable. Look at the context again, from house to house, eating together, fellowship meals, and the Lord's Supper together with joy. As an elder and now a pastor, one of the most heartbreaking things to me is to see Christians who've lost their joy. Spirits broken, sometimes stuck in a malaise with eyes 
just stuck inward at their own hurt, pain, dissatisfaction, anger. I need to say for every one of you here today, wallowing in your perceived unfair treatment, holding grudges in selfishness, I will show you a thousand believers burying their children, being diagnosed with leukemia, not knowing how much longer they have to live. And even in 2022, knowing their own martyrdom could be any day. Bearing burdens you can't possibly imagine, but with joy unspeakable. Oh, brothers and sisters, what's our excuse for losing our joy? I say this with all charity. It's time for some of us to get our gaze off our own navels and onto Christ and the gospel and others. Thinking of these believers, how can we take the Lord's Supper the same way again? But these changed hearts not only were full of awe, fear, exceeding joy, their hearts here were generous. Not in the sense of giving generously, but in generous as not thinking themselves greater than they are putting others first. Your translation may in fact say simplicity. Unfortunately, the only time, this is the only time this word is used in the, in the entire New Testament. In period usage, it means humbleness, simplicity, not drawing attention to oneself. One lexicon puts it this way, and I thought it was amazing, that this is plain, unpretentious, in manner, clothing, lifestyle, and speech. These hearts were transformed. And the church was begun with men and women living with hearts of holy reverent awe, a joy above all joys, and the quiet simplicity of an unpretentious, humble heart and life. Now I have to say, as we close, and as I prepared this message and preached to my own heart, as late as yesterday, I had to put it down several times. One time I simply just crawled under the covers and covered myself for conviction. Perhaps it's the same with you. The side effects of gospel medicine, I am happy to tell you, are still available. The gospel is indeed good news. There is only one type of person here. Only one. One type of person within the sound of my voice. One type of person watching via live stream. One type of person that may listen to this long after it's finished. There is only one type of person. The person that desperately needs this good news. You may have never heard it before. You may have heard it your whole life, yet never had this change of heart and life like we've seen in this passage. The good news is, it's not too 
late. Just, be, just as these saints heard it and were cut to the heart, has that same Holy Spirit bearing the same news of the same risen Christ cut your heart? Will you cry as they did, what must I do? And the answer today is the same as it was then. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. And finally, it's the same for us in the church too. Those of us who have repented and are still desperately wanting and trying to repent. The good news is for us. The same grace that changed this, uh, these believers are available to us today. It's time to come to Christ again for that renewed heart of worship, that love again of the brethren, that praise and thankfulness of a heart that desperately needs the joy it once had, the awe and fear of the Lord, and that simple, humble life that brings peace to the soul, and restful sleep to weary eyes. This gospel is for everyone, saved, lost, young, and old. This week, your pastors were at a conference in Mississippi, and I heard a message with an illustration that will stick with me for a long, long time. The image was an image that you've seen and probably know. It's the image of John Knox preaching to his congregation. And he's preaching like this. If you've seen it. But you know, brothers and sisters, the only reason the man of God does this is to do this, come, come, come. Will you come? Will you come to Christ? His word strikes your heart, yet those arms still beckon. Come and find rest for your souls, just as the doctor in the house, Dr. Luke, has prescribed and with him will you now and forever, one, make that self-diagnosis honestly by the word of God. Two, take and retake that gospel medicine as directed. Three, listen to both the instructions and warnings from the word of God and then monitor the outcomes and repeat. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are a needy people. We are so prone to look inward. Help us. Help us to have an orientation first up, then out, 
Father, change our hearts is our prayer this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me and let's sing our hymn of response, The Church's One Foundation, hymnal 347.